Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the podcast where I share the inspiring stories of diverse leaders bringing equity to financial systems through fintech. I'm Nicole Casperson. In this episode, I sit down with Michelle Tran, SVP and Head of Enterprise Sales at Vestwell. She also is the co-founder of New York City Women in Fintech, a massive organization bringing together the women in fintech community here in New York and beyond. In this episode, we talk about Michelle's background and her fierce passion to make an impact in the world as a leader and make an impact she sure has. We talk through how she got into the fintech space to begin with and what about the fintech mission really drew her into the space after many years in traditional financial services. We talk about the Asian American experience and what it's like to carve out a place for yourself in the world. And we also get a little bit of insight into what might be her next project heading into 2023. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Michelle Tran. Michelle Tran, welcome to Humans of Fintech. I am so excited to have you on the show. We're a little post-fintech is femme in San Francisco. You're still in San Francisco. How are you today? Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I've been listening to your podcast forever, and I'm just so excited to actually be in a seat uh, we're doing good. San Francisco is, I don't know, it's always 65 and sunny, and today is no different. It's 65 <laughs> and sunny, maybe a little bit colder, but yeah. <laughs> it is surprisingly chilly over there, and now I know it after being a part of the fintech community over there for a moment and excited to expand on that further into next year. But yeah, I think kick this off with really this fierce passion that you have to really make an impact in the world as a leader. And I think that starts really with your family and your background as a first generation Asian American. That's where the story starts, I feel like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about that first. And maybe you can give us just some background there before we get into more of the fintech things. Yeah. So my family, you know, we're from China originally. And starting with my grandparents and my grandfather, you know, he made the trek during the Great Famine in China all the way to Vietnam to find a better life. He did that when he was, I think he was like 12 or 13. And so he was young, right? He had no other choice. And similarly, my dad got on a boat when he was I think, 17 or 18 and set out for the world because his parents didn't want him drafted in the Vietnam War. And so my family through you know, kind of the environment around them have always had to seek a different life and had always had to really, not to say struggle, but to find something different in order to ensure that their family was safe. And so for me, when I think back to, oh my gosh, my grandfather walked, I don't know how many miles and trains by himself as a young teenager. I'm like, I can't even imagine doing that as an older person to go to a whole different country and set up a life there. And my dad did the same on a boat. I think back to like, I want to have a big impact on the world as well, because they what they did was change the course of our family. You know, they brought us to the U.S., they opened a restaurant, they gave me all the opportunities of going to, you know, a regular school and not having to worry about, you know, having to get on a boat or walk, you know, a thousand miles by myself. So what is it that I can do to help the world? And, you know, it was never, you know, encapsulated into like one sentence of like, what am I going to do to help the world? But it was more of like just a drive to always 
try to do more. What's that mm-hmm. impact? And it's silly and it's so super cheesy, but like it goes all the way back to when I was like in grade school and I would start the environmental club or I would start, you know, the voting club in high school or whatever it was. And so I think, you know, that really was what kind of put the foundation of me wanting to have a bigger impact because seeing where my family came from, also giving me all the opportunities that they gave me so I can give back a little bit more. Because if I was, my grandfather never left China. We went to go visit that village in China one summer and it literally is a village. Yeah. All the houses are one room, maybe two rooms. You know, the bathroom's in one corner, the TV's in the other corner. Everybody has a TV, you know, regardless of, you know, how nice the house is. But they're a community where what they do for money is that they mine computer parts for gold. And so the rivers are super polluted. People don't live very well. And I could just, I would sit there remembering, I'm like, if my grandfather never left, I would be standing here mining computer parts for gold, most likely. Mm-hmm. And saw some distant relatives who the first girl never went to school. The second kid who was a boy went to school, but the first girl didn't go to school. And so I'm the first girl in my generation. And I just couldn't imagine if I didn't go to school, what would I be doing? Right. And so looking back at the U.S. and saying, "Okay, this is where I am. What can I do to help others um, in my position? Yeah, I mean, it's such an inspiring story. And I one love that you hold that dear. Right. I think as children of immigrant parents, I myself being one, I feel that I feel, you know, going back to the Philippines and seeing where my mom comes from and thinking, man, what a badass she was to leave this, you know, all behind. My mom was the first to move to America in her family and then her the rest of her family followed suit. And I'm like, and she did it right around my age. And I'm 28. I think she was even a couple years younger. And I'm like, would I ever do something like that? And you start to think like, all right, if, you know, someone in my family who really right changed the trajectory you know, I wouldn't be here right now if she didn't move to America or like, what would my life have been like if I was, you know, still in, if I was a, ended up being a child of the Philippines instead of here in the States. And it does put this drive in you. And I feel it too, where you really want to almost like prove that all of those sacrifices are so worth it. That's exactly it. Yeah. Like my dad got on a boat My grandfather paid four gold bars for my dad to get on a boat, not knowing where he was going and saying bye to his brothers and sisters and saying goodbye to his parents. And can you just imagine as like a teenager or like now I couldn't even imagine I'm like setting off for nowhere. And it is it's it's how can I give back? Like, what is my purpose for being here? And it's always so much more than, you know, what you do day to day. It is how you help others and how you impact others all about other people at the end of the day. Well, exactly. Well, our, you know, our ancestors or our family members had that so instinctly in them, right? They were like, I will go on this boat. I will travel with, I will, with the gold bars. I will, you know, or in like my mom's case, like I will leave my whole family behind and be the first to come to a new place and, and have a new start with the thought in mind that, I will do this for, you know, these future family members or children that she didn't even know, you know, who they were going to be or what they would become. And there's something really like special about that. I think the trick is that when you are the child of something like that and you have that passion and that drive to show them that 
everything is so worth it. But then you have to do it in the way that is authentic to you. And that's the hard part, right? Like reading about you, I was laughing because I too can't be a doctor because I'm squeamish. I don't like blood. <laughs> Me neither. Can't be a doctor. And I don't like math. And I was like, mom, doctor ain't going to do it for me. We're going to have to figure something else out. But, you know, so I think that's the hard part sometimes in our seat is like, now we must prove that we can make an impact too, but we have to do it in our own way. And that's where the journey gets, can get tricky. Yeah. And I think it's hard in the Asian culture to do it your own way. There's a lot of pressure to succeed in a certain format, right? In a format that the rest of the world understands. I'm sure, you know, if you graduate college and you're like, mom, I'm going to run a podcast and a media conglomerate, she'd be like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> still trying to figure it out. <laughs> still trying to figure out. I mean, and this goes back to like, my dad still thinks I'm at BlackRock, which I left a very long oh. time ago. So he still oh, no. like put me in that box where he's like, oh, I know BlackRock and they're great. And so she's going to fit into this finance box that, mm. you know, I can tell everybody else because they understand. Um, but yeah, no doctor. I can't stand blood. Can't do it. I can barely can see it in movies. I'm like covering my face. Um, but my mother accepted that. Luckily, my one of my brothers kind of took on more of that role. Appreciate you, brother. Um, but anyways, so then I tried. I was like, I, well, I really wanted to be a journalist. And journalist is also not in the list of potential careers that you're allowed to have when you're the but child. Of clear, there's only three. There's only three careers for an, an Asian child. It is doctor, lawyer or finance. That's it. Exactly. Those are your options. Um, that was rough. I was like, okay, well, I really want to be a journalist and I like writing. So I also got into college under the kind of the guise with my mom that I would pursue pre-law. And I kind of told her that if I majored in journalism, it would help me learn how to write really well, which would help me go to law school, obviously. <laughs> um, but I think you did something similar too. But maybe you actually thought pre-law would be interesting. Well, I did. So I did pre-law and it was very interesting. I just, I think I got really bored. Um, and so for me, and I did enough where I could graduate with it, but I wanted to do a little bit more. And so then I was able to double major in econ, which was great, which really opened my eye to econ itself. But for me, it was more of kind of what set me on the trajectory of what I was kind of starting with in finance was more so the, the desire to travel and not mm. necessarily just go straight into a role. Now, I did. I went. I lived in London, so I left for London right after college. Worked for Merrill Lynch in London, so it, it checked a couple boxes. So I could make my family happy and say, "Hey, I'm at a company that you know, and it's in finance." But yet, at the same time, I can go to Switzerland or Italy on the weekend and live that international life. That was. I wasn't ready to just stay in one place. I really wanted to explore a little bit more. So still kind of, you know, made my parents happy, but then was able to do really what I wanted to at the end of the day. But what was great was that that kind of set me down the road of more traditional finance to start. And that then opened, you know, kind of the fintech interest as it got more and more popular. Right. And you bounced around financial services companies throughout your career. And sorry, dad, she's not at Black, Black Rock, Blackstone. 
Yeah, well, so he thinks, well, that's what he does too. Is he, he also confused like, on that? Because now I'm confused. Yeah, because he's like, oh, wait, but you're at Blackstone. I was like, no, it's Blackrock. And also, that was a long time ago. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. Dad, I'm just as confused as you sometimes. But, anyways, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. So, like, not there anymore to make it clear <laughs> we're at best well now but anyways but that is actually kind of how you you know you joined fintech to help grow a robo advisor and realize that that's where you would make that impact and so i'd love to hear from you kind of when that revelation happened because i know it took me a few years as a finance journalist to understand that instead of feeling like pigeonholed into like oh this is just the first job i got out of college writing about housing and mortgages and finance systems, I realized how impactful it is to be writing for industry and helping shape narratives. But what was that aha moment for you when fintech is like, that's where I'm going to make an impact? So for me, the aha moment was when I was so I was still at BlackRock. Um, I had before that I'd moved around globally. So I'd spent some time in Hong Kong. And for me, it was when I joined the fintech team at BlackRock, I had moved back to New York at that point. And this was what height of robo-advisors. So robo-advisors were going to take over the world. Headline, you probably wrote some of these headlines yourself, was <laughs> no no more human advisors, right? And we know today that's not true. Right. But what we did see was the democratization of investing. And that's what robo-advisors really did. And so what they were really doing was making investing available to everyone, which was so cool. Because before... You know, especially at the BlackRock level, you're like, oh, you have to have $100,000 at least to invest. What they did was they brought it down. They brought it down to the $10, to $20, to $1,000, to $5,000, where it's more reasonable for anyone to really invest. What was really cool for me in that aha moment was also seeing other technologies that supported that. Now, a lot of the robo-advisors, they were being stood up on Apex. So Apex is a clearing custody firm. When I heard of Apex, I had to Google clearing custody firm. Yeah. So what they really did was they held on to the money, but they built a technology layer on top that helped open accounts very fast and that helped bring money into accounts very fast. Because historically, you got to fill out PDF or you got to fill out something and then it has to go to someone for them to check it. They built a mechanism where they can get an account open in five to six seconds. So that really enables someone then to say, OK, great, I'm on my phone. I'm going to open up an account. I'm going to put some money in. And then a couple of minutes later, I'm going to start buying some shares of Apple. And in the world of when you're always on your phone and the instant gratification, you have to have those type of technologies in order to get people investing. So that was really the aha moment was seeing all the technology, not only to facilitate like instant account opening and trading, but really like what was it doing to people? It was really allowing them to invest, which was super cool. Because it was like, you know, impacted my friends. I was like, hey, you should go open an account here because you can. And now to this day, like my kids have accounts and, yeah. you know, concept is a little bit far for them, but they have, you know, a fractional share of Microsoft, which they associate with Minecraft because that's what they're <laughs> I'm like, fine. And they're like, you want to buy Legos? I'm like, okay, who runs Legos? I don't know. So we'll buy that. Or now they want to buy Apple. But that's how you get them started because it only costs them, you know, $10 to get started, which is really cool. Yeah. So that was really my aha moment to say, okay, like, what is this technology doing and changing the lives of people? Well, I think you hit an important factor for me and just my content and even this podcast and the newsletter is really I'm trying to bring that people and human element back into this fintech space, because at the end of the day, that's at least all the people that I interview and talk to, that's what is the draw. That's why we end up 
in this space. I know it's why I stick around and it's because of the mission, right? It's the people, the incredible capability to see, you know, a child be able to, you know, with their parent invest something or, and just have that moment. You know, I don't, I didn't have that moment when I was younger because it wasn't a thing, right? That people really did. And now it's so ingrained into our culture. And that I think is what is, makes me like so excited about this space is when I'm like, now I'm asked about it in public places and like with friends and and now it's like oh shit the impact is here so now it's like what do we do to make sure like the intentions Mm -hmm. are good too yeah there's so much out there right that's thinking about how do we get people to move money a bit better and this is not just you know hedge funds or people who invest but even something as um EBT, you know, food stamps, right? Like this is the height of the pandemic. And, you know, Capway facilitated a way for food stamps to be used digitally. Um, That's FinTech. And you have Propel, you know, kind of looking at the underbanked and all these neobanks too, that are building out technologies to serve, you know, Black Americans, to serve Asian Americans, to serve LGBTQ Americans. It's all ways to how do you help someone live a better life and really making sure that, finances are transparent. And so that's like really cool parts. And, you know, there's a thousand different other fintechs out there. But like, to me, those are the really interesting areas of fintech is how do you help the unbanked? How do you help the unserved? Right? Because they should all have access just like we do. Right, exactly. And it's interesting to me too, because you can really have that impact on the end user, whether you work in a, you know, B2C, B2B or B2B2C capacity if you have the you know drive and values and and it's done right and we you know use the technology that we have so that everyone can win then yeah you can eventually that all trickles down into the end consumer and what is accessible or isn't so I, I always like want the industry to think about that no matter what role you're in like you have the capacity to do that you just have to have the intention to do it. And, I mean, that's the primary reason, one of the primary reasons why I joined Bestball too. Right. Or like, what is this technology doing? At the end of the day, what it's doing is helping people save more for retirement. And then going back to, you know, our personal stories, right? Like my parents ran a restaurant. They didn't have access to retirement. They never worked at a big institution where they said, hey, this whole concept of saving money before it's taxed or even having like a formal tax or a formal um, savings mechanism for them is unheard of to this day. I mean, I'm sure my parents are going to live with me at the end of the day because that's what you do as Asians as well. You live in a multi-generational house. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but and I don't mind it. My mom is a great cook, so I'll take it. Um, <laughs> she's fantastic. But it's something that, you know, I was able to participate in because I worked at a corporation. And it. I know it's going to change the way I view retirement. It's going to change the way I'm going to be able to live in, you know, the future. And that's what kind of the technology does, right? Like you have to look at the end game here. Mm. What is it trying to do? It's trying to help people save more. You know, the robo-advisor is trying to get people to invest more so they can change their wealth story, these retirement options. So it's that's what I always look at when I look at roles too. For me, what's really important is what are we trying to do in the greater scheme of things? Yes, it's a really interesting product. And yes, I get to do this day-to-day and work with cool people. But how am I, what's that impact that I'm going to have in my day job too? Mm-hmm, exactly. And having a day job just wasn't enough for you, <laughs> Michelle Tran. You had to. <laughs> well, I mean, and I 
this is the another cornerstone of your of your story is has something to do with, you know, walking to a bar on a rainy Tuesday night and with a few other women in fintech. Right. But I would love to hear that story from you as one of the co-founders of New York City Women in Fintech. Such an inspiration for me and and what I am doing um, as as kind of a newbie in the space. Um, please. Origin story for how New York City Women in Fintech came to be. It all started because I was really pissed off. So yeah. <laughs> what happened was, that's usually how it Same. starts. <laughs> that's how it all starts. <laughs> I was in a sales role and pitching a really big company, pitching, you know, a really big opportunity. And I was in the room, you know, I was hitting my stride. I was doing my thing. And it was my coworker who kept on, you know, doing the things that we hate, the interrupting, the repitching, really taking away my confidence, taking away my responsibility for the win. And it just like, I remember in that meeting and like, you know, when you have that, that feeling that just bubbles inside you and you just know it and your face is red and you're like, mm-hmm. I am, I'm not going to say anything right now because I'm in a meeting, but I'm not happy. Um, yeah, oh my gosh. So I know we've all been there. <laughs> And yes, <laughs> many times. So it really was, that was the moment. And it must've been bubbling for many moments, but that was the moment where I said, screw it. So literally went home and I paid $80 to meetup.com. And I said, Hey, I need a name. Woman in FinTech was taken. Woman of FinTech was taken. So we went with NYC FinTech woman. It was like, great, I'll take it. Set up a night. I actually called around to like 10 different bars. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to bring in a hundred people. And you know, sponsor us, blah, blah, blah. Well, no one did. I was like, fine, I'll just, <laughs> I'll just pick a place of the bar. And, you know, didn't get 100 people, but we got 16 women and it was a rainy Tuesday. We picked a, a great bar in the Flatiron Silicon Alley and 16 women were there, including Sasha Pilch, who is now my co-founder. And, you know, it was just a way for us to have conversation because I needed someone to talk to. And I was going to a million fintech events and it was all male and I was going to a million women in tech events and I'd have to, you know, find the fintech female. And I think this was, you know, when five years ago when fintech was still relatively nascent Mm -hmm. and Sasha was there. And I remember Sasha walked up to me afterwards. She's like, oh my gosh, I want to build this with you. I was like, build what? Oh, we're just meeting for drinks. Uh, (laughs) Like, no, we have something here. You know, I think, and she was new coming from Australia. She worked at Quovo at the time running fintech sales. And she's like, no, this is, we're ready for a conversation. We need to do something. And it snowballed from there. And it was amazing. And, you know, guys like Nathan Richardson came out and said, I want to support you. He was CEO of uh, Trader for, before he got acquired. He gave us space. He gave us the platform to host people. Um, same with Morty. These are all like all early sponsors for us. And we've ever since the beginning wanted to make it available for everyone. So we never charged any money for people to join because it should be open to everybody. And we continued to build and build where before long, there were hundreds of people showing up at the door and there were thousands of people ready to have this conversation because we need that community. We need to find each other in order to help each other. And FinTech is such a small, not small, but it's a subset, right? It's a subset of financial services, a subset of technology, Mm -hmm. but there's a very unique change that's happening within FinServe and tech. And that is the combination of FinTech. And that's everything from, you know, the Goldman Sachs and the Black Rocks of the world all the way through to your pre-seed company that's doing super cool. And so super excited. Now we have 10,000 members all over the place launching San Francisco and Chicago, Boston, Atlanta, 
just doing a lot, which is really cool. And <laughs> I honestly love it because it's when, so you were at Nicey, you know, a couple weeks, was it last week? I don't even remember what. Um, <laughs> it was last week. It was last week. Last week. Last week. Last week. Together. It was last week. The <laughs> thing is just looking at LinkedIn for the, like the past week. And oh my gosh. And it just, just being flooded with us. <laughs> flooded, but like the joy and the visibility and the amplification that just one event like that has. Mm-hmm. And I see how like everyone that's posted about it is like 300 likes. That's not just gathering likes. That's gathering visibility. That's gathering someone who ha- says, hey, I see this woman. She's doing something really cool. And I'm going to actively you know, participate in her journey. And that's the coolest thing about it is just seeing how big of an impact it has. And to me, my thing all along has been all about promotion, all about visibility. You need to talk about yourself. You need to talk about others all the time. You need to say their names. You need to say what they do. You need to show their faces. And so the fact that like we were at NICE and Lynn Martin, the president of NICE is standing there talking to 300 women and then all of our faces flooding the screens of the New York Stock Exchange. It's such a cool moment. And it it's, it's such an eye-opening moment, too. And, and hopefully for everyone else in the room who, you know, maybe there as a guest or, you know, just not as familiar with fintech. But it's like, we're going after it. Yeah, God. And it, one, being there and for the whole thing. I mean, I wrote a whole newsletter about it. I originally was going to write a different newsletter the next day and I was like, nope, nope, nope. I like was there. <laughs> I listened to it and I was like, nope, I'm dedicating a whole newsletter to this evening because awesome. it is worthy and it is like so amazing. And I love what you say about uh, visibility because it is a, a huge reason why I do what I do because I know what, you know, one article or one headline or one social post, right, can do for someone. You're creating the connection, right? You're creating maybe that next relationship between a founder who's desperately looking for a VC to believe in them or, you know, vice versa. So, but starting with like just wanting to fill even like maybe what was possibly your own, right? Like void of loneliness and it just snowballing into all these other women also feeling the same things that you have. I love it because it shuts the gaslighting off and mm-hmm. then makes reminds you that you're not crazy and that these feelings that you have are not made up and that the, you know, it's like, try having another male colleague tell me that the patriarchy isn't real after seeing <laughs> all of this, right? Like I have proof that this is yeah. happening to people and, and to women specifically. So truly incredible. And, you know, the path that you have paved for even just like someone like myself to want to come in and fuel this mission and do something like it is like, is unreal. So I thank you. I am so in awe by all of it and just also so proud to be a part of it. So yeah, it's, it's, and I think it's so important what you said about being loud. As women, we tend to want to be, I do it all the time. I've only started to find confidence and share and amplifying my own story over the last year. But I've always wanted to hide behind the shadows, make myself smaller. I'm, I'm okay. Like, sorry, sorry. And, you know, you were like, you better share this shit on social media. (laughs) You better post that, you know, your headshot on, on the New York Stock Exchange, like on LinkedIn, you know, share this for everyone to see, because we need to show that we are also at the center of this narrative. We're not some sidebar conversation. We're here too. And that's what you've done. And, and created and you wanted to make an impact 
I mean, <laughs> hell, you've done it. <laughs> no, and thank you for everything that you're doing in terms of highlighting women in fintech and sharing those stories. That's part of that amplification, right? Like, 100%, you need to share. And, you, and you're right. It's like as females and even as Asian females, we're part of the fabric and we don't want to stand out. And you know what? It, and it takes practice and it takes a lot of courage too, mm-hmm. because if you stand out more, there's more visibility on you and you may be knocked down harder and it's scary and not a lot of people can do it. And it takes, it just takes practice. And so we take the scary out of it, right? I think what we do is we feature you and not just inspiring fintech females, but every Friday our fintech female Fridays too, kind of doing the same thing, like hosting someone to make it easy for them to share about themselves. Because if someone else is talking about them, they're like, oh, you know, I'm being talked about somewhere else and I want to share that instead of tooting my own horn. So I, you know, it takes a lot of energy for folks to be able to want to share those things. And so the more tools that we can put out there for them to share about themselves, the better. And mm-hmm. and the, the stories about it, and I'm sure you hear about the stories from you of how it's changed the course of someone's career yeah. or the deals that they've got or the funding that they've got. Like, that's what we're trying to do. Like, we're trying to change all of it. That's the success. That's the success. Like that yeah. 2% VC funding, female founders, that's not going to stay 2%. Like that is, the more we talk about female founders, they're going to get more money, you know, making sure there's more women at leadership, on leadership teams and leadership positions. So it's, it's all going to come together. And we, like, we came together and we're like, oh, what's our mission? And what's our end goal? We're like, we want 50% females in fintech. I mean, yeah. I don't know how we're going to measure that or how we're going to get to it, but everything well, we're, we're doing, doing it. <laughs> that, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. We're doing it. We're doing the work now. And I think what you know, what you said and you're getting at really is that you reinforced the ability to want to amplify yourself with a community of women here to back you up. Yeah. So it's less scary. Like what you said, right? You're taking that fear away. It's less scary to put yourself out there when you have, you know, 50 other, right, uh, honorees or women like putting themselves out there too. And then now it's a community. Now you're voicing a bunch of different people and you're doing it together while also amplifying yourself. And then that's, and like, that's chef's kiss. Like that's the sweet spot. And that's what you've been able to accomplish. And it's truly amazing. And I'm just like stoked to be a part of it. I have to ask also about, is there a potential AAPI version that you are dreaming, thinking about? Yes. Dreaming, thinking, and need to do. So, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> add it to the list. Been on our, our radar for a while. So the same issue, right? Yeah. Female founders in tech, female founder, Asian female founders, Asian women leaders. And it's what we're fighting up against is what we called um, the double-paned bamboo ceiling. So it's not just breaking a glass ceiling, it is breaking a really hard bamboo ceiling because the way that Asians get depicted and kind of perceived in leadership roles, there's not a lot of us. And so what are the, how can we build a platform to support Asian women leaders and Asian women founders? And so, you know, very early days, um, Young Zhao and I, she's the CEO of Vansory, are super passionate and super excited for it. So we're starting what's called the Tiger Collective. Again, still early days, but we're we're looking at, you know, kind of folks that we really admire in this space, like Dave Liu and Hyphen Capital and how he supports Asian founders. So there's a lot of work, but the focus is how do we help Asian women become the leaders that they are and Asian female founders? And this is, I think, when we think about female founders too, 
it is, you know, fintech heavy given where we are, but it really is beyond that. It's Asian female founders in general. So super excited to be able to dig into this a little bit more in 2023. So more to come on that. But, you know, and it really stemmed from, you know, a lot of the violence that was happening against Asian Americans in the past couple of years and the fact that it continues to happen to this day. And so, you know, what can we do to to kind of, you know, change that story of how Asians are perceived? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's I as someone who never really had that strong Asian-American community to lean on. I know I'm hungry for something like this. I am so excited to see, you know, if there's anyone that's capable of building something like this, it is definitely you and definitely Leong. I love her. Uh, We always go and eat the best food together. Hi, Leong. (laughs) But anyways, so I love to see it. I'm anything, literally anything I can do to be of assistance to this mission, to this cause. I'm like, where's the sign up sheet for Tiger Collective? I am there. But you have the FinTech is Femme support 100%. And thank you for sharing what you can on that and for just adding something else to the plate, because why not? You know, like, let's just, we got to keep making an impact, got to throw it in there. But, you know, for an Asian, Asian American communities and Asian women specifically, the, like we talked about at the top, there are different things. They're just different cultures, issues. There's different things that we grow up believing and seeing that shape our minds simply differently, that to have other people understand that even this conversation with you, it's like almost therapeutic for me because someone understands what it's like to have that funny tiger mom or something, you know, like different types of elements and dimensions that come with being Asian American. So I appreciate that. As we close out this conversation, this wonderful conversation, I'm so excited that this has happened. I want to ask you a final question, which is if we need to be the change that we want to see, what change do you wish to see in fintech and how do you embody it? Ooh, that is a good question. What is the change I want to see in fintech? The change I want to see in fintech very specifically is that I need to see more money go to female founders. The check writers need to change. There needs to be more of a focus on diversifying where money goes. It blows my mind that the founder of WeWork can get $300 million (sighs) on an idea where women and minority women, let's not even go into the minority women, but women in general only still get 2% of institutional capital. So the thing that needs to change most immediately is the check writers need to write different checks and stop glorifying white males. Yeah, I'll like add a little element to that last part, too, and say stop glorifying mediocre white males who also have had a history of toxic behavior and that's more accurate. You know, it's failing businesses, right? Yeah. yeah like, hmm, let's not like, exactly. So, and I feel you, it's funny that like, cause that brings in the, that, you know, back to that moment that pissed you off, that helped you start, right? NYC FinTech Women. It's like that it, you get pissed off that this guy gets another chance when there's who knows how many women and diverse founders out there that don't even get the one chance. And it really is like mind blowing. And it and you're exactly right. And I think and I love that you said it so simply, you know, the people writing the checks need to change. And I don't know if I can write another article where two percent is the stat I'm writing for women founded like for VC money going to women founded companies. I'm like, I'm over it. Someone argued with me. They were like, isn't it two point six? 
I was oh like, my gosh. I'm sorry. You're quibbling over uh, decimals here when, you know, even if I said 3% or 5%, that's still a ridiculous number. There's no double digits here. Yeah. So yeah, I was, I was a bit blown away that we were arguing about a, a decimal. Oh my gosh. Well, I think that what you've done with the visibility with New York City fintech women, women in fintech and you know, between that and just having, you know, more of the amplification, that to me is what helps what can help translate, right? If we can translate more women to being visible in media, if we can get more women to feel comfortable with sharing their authentic stories, then, you know, and confident, right? As confident as someone like Adam Newman, right? I think the tweet was I saw that was so funny. It was like, Lord, please give me the confidence of a man that can fail a business and then raise another $350 million. Like we should have that kind of yeah. confidence. I mean, before um, you know it, we're going to turn around and it's like the founder of FTX is going to get $300 million <laughs> for whatever. New oh yeah. I'm like waiting have. for it. Yeah. Waiting yeah. for it. Once he's out of jail, they'll be like, here's a check. Ready to go. Oh my gosh. But we have to like, and that's the thing. And like, and I, we have to like keep pointing it out. Like we have to be loud about, when we notice these things and saying it like on the spot, that's something I've been working on too, is just like calling shit out on the spot when it happens. It's hard. It's easier said than done. But something I'm personally working on, we're talking New Year's resolutions. I'm working on that <laughs> myself. Lunar New Year resolutions. Yeah, exactly. You your lunar New Year resolutions. Yeah, ex exactly. Exactly. So, Michelle Tran, thank you so, so much for joining me on Humans of Fintech. This has been so much fun. I appreciate all of the work that you are doing. A true woman in fintech icon, paving pathways from wanting to make an impact at the very start of your early days to making a hell of a one now and still building out more. I'm honored to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. To hear our next story from another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating as it helps our message reach more people who want to find belonging too.